Gracious God, we pray that you would um, take all that we give, all that we have to further your, your love, your justice, your, your presence in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I had two flat tires. I, I mean, a friend of mine had two flat tires. My friend must have ridden his bike through like a pile of thorns or something like that. And now he's standing on the side of the road trying to figure out what to do. So I called Maya, I, I mean, my friend called his spouse to see if, if they could pick him up. So as he's waiting and waiting and waiting, hundreds of people drive by. I mean, hundreds of people. It's like over on Sepulveda Boulevard over near the, was it the 210? I don't know. I can't remember what it is. Uh, so hundreds and hundreds of people pass by and nobody stops. Nobody stops to see if he's okay except for one person. And that one person who cared enough just to see if this person standing on the side of the row road was okay, rolled down his window, and the first thing that I noticed, I mean, the first thing that my friend noticed was that he was wearing a red MAGA hat. Now, my friend was surprised by this because the whole Trump movement seems just sort of bizarre and, and really troubling to him. But just when you think that you have everyone figured out, something like that surprises you, right? Thankfully, this happened to my friend so that I could share this illustration here in a place where presumably we don't all think alike or, or vote alike, right? Hopefully, that's the case, that we don't all think alike and, and vote alike. I mean, it would be really awkward. It'd be like really awkward if this illustration was about me because then you'd all know that I have my own political bias uh, I have my own tendency to uh, assume who people are based on what they wear or how they vote or, or, or what their particular politics are or, or any number, other number of things. That would be, that'd be sort of awkward, wouldn't it? My friend was reminded that day that people are complicated, that life is complicated, that there's always something more than what we see on the surface. Always something more than we see on the surface. So as I mentioned last week, this is sort of the job, at least one of the important jobs of faith, is to push us past what seems obvious into something deeper and, and hopefully richer. This is one of the main points of the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been talking about. Life is like smoke. It's hard to control, it's hard to understand, but if we lean into the unknown, there is a truth on the other side that is deeper than our certainty. If we lean into the tension, there is something there on the other side that is more freeing and strangely more peaceful. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see our own complex humanity in this sort of mysterious character, or maybe it's the author of the book called Koheleth, that's, that's the, this person's name uh, in Ecclesiastes. And this person is both wise and foolish, like many times at the same time. He's aware and he's shockingly out of touch. So he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse, in verse 1, Next, 
I turned my attention to all the outrageous violence that takes place on this planet. The tears of the victims, no one to comfort them, the iron grip of oppressors, no one to rescue the victims from them. Koheleth, we're told, is a powerful and wealthy king. So here we're, we're, we're pleasantly surprised that someone like him can see those who are hurting in his world, in a world that is made for him. He somehow sees that it's an unfair world. It's, it's not a just world, that this is not the way that it's supposed to be in this world, even though he benefits greatly from the way it is. So it's good that he sees. It's sort of amazing that he sees those who are hurting. Now, it's sometimes assumed that Koheleth is actually King Solomon, this, this famous character from the Bible um, who is considered throughout history as one of the wisest people in, in history. And, and so it's interesting because it's King Solomon who set about the task of building the temple in Jerusalem, a, a magnificent project intended to make known the glory and the presence of God with us in this world, intended to make known God's desire to order our world according to justice and equality. But who do you think did all of that work for King Solomon? First Kings 5.13 tells us that it was forced labor. Do you, do you feel the disconnect? He sees and laments the reality of oppression in the world, and yet he is responsible for that oppression. Do you feel the dissonance in this person who is wise and foolish, who sees and yet doesn't see, who is aware and, and completely out of touch all at the same time? And so aware and unaware, he continues, so, Seeing the oppression of the world, I congratulated the dead who are already dead instead of the living who are still alive. But luckier than the dead or even the living is the person who has never been, who has never seen the bad business that takes place on this planet. So, awesome. <laughs> he can see that people are hurting but he can only understand their suffering from his place of privilege in the world. He assumes, having seen the hurting people of the world, that life must not be worth living for them. He assumes that they would be better off dead. It's like me saying to people who are struggling to get by, you know, I don't know if I could live without my iPhone, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if I could live without whatever it is, fill in the blank, something that is obviously not life or death. So how have oppressed people throughout history read Ecclesiastes? Do they agree with this, his assumptions? Do they agree that their life is not worth living? Are they comforted by his words? He sees them, but he doesn't see them. Well, to be honest, I don't know how people who have struggled throughout history read the book of Ecclesiastes, but neither does he, because he and I are not them. The point is that for all of us, we know what we've experienced, right? Like we know what we've gone through, 
But until we let other people speak for themselves, we are only making assumptions. We are only working with what seems obvious to us based on our experiences and our way of seeing the world. We are making assumptions about other people. So on Friday, I was listening to an interview with a science writer from the New York Times uh, on a podcast whose, whose official title uh, apparently is Cosmic Affairs Correspondent, which sounds like a great, a great thing to put on your resume. And at one point, he said that we walk around in our little bubbles of certainty until occasionally they're shattered by something like a pandemic. Like, has, does anybody have any experience with this whatsoever. And the interviewer said, well, what do you mean? And so he said a few things about how easily things can fall apart, obviously, in this universe. And then he concluded with this little gem. Eventually, in a billion years, there will be no life on Earth because the sun will warm up and boil away the oceans and the human race will be forgotten. So in the far, far flungs of time, nothing will remain. Cool, right? <laughs> so there's like this awkward silence in the middle of this interview. And then the question um, from the interviewer, um, does your work as the cosmic affairs correspondent make you depressed? <laughs> like obviously. But it's interesting because later in the interview, it's mentioned that he, this particular person, is sometimes called an evangelist of cosmic ignorance. So here in church, we know that the word evangelist means someone who brings good news. Really? This guy? Like, the, nothing remains, humanity will be forgotten. But he's an evangelist, he's someone who brings good news. And then he, he said, I love that phrase, evangelists of cosmic ignorance, because it reminds us of who we are that we don't really know much about the universe that we're in. And it's refreshing, he says, because in our ignorance, we are all equal. We're all equal in what we don't know. So listening in the car, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this guy sounds a lot like the book of Ecclesiastes. Like we've been going through this a lot and, you know, nothing really matters and everything's going to be lost sort of sounds like what we've been reading. He's depressing, and he's also refreshing. He's bad news, and he's good news, all at the same time. We don't know. We don't know so much, which is helpful if we're trying to get beyond what seems obvious. If we stick with what seems obvious, we assume that we just already know, right? So Koheleth sees, and then he doesn't see. And then in verse 7, it seems like he sees clearly again when he says that we need more than ourselves. We need more than our one experience. We need more than our one perspective. So in verse 7, I turned my head and I saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. A solitary person, completely alone. No children, no family, no friends, yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog, never having any fun, and who cares? This also is smoke. 
and an unhappy business. So, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other up. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie down, they can keep warm. But how is one person to keep warm alone? I mean, this was written a long time ago, right? Like, I mean, there are, in modern times, electric blankets and all kinds of other things. I mean, we can keep, we can keep warm on our, on our own. But, but the one can be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, he says, is not easily broken. So, from our solitary position... I see that MAGA hat and I already know everything I need to know about you. Or I see that post about you being pro-choice. I already know everything I need to know about you. Or I've been through tough times too. We, we all have. Which means I know exactly what you're going through. Unless we don't actually know because we haven't asked you about your unique experience. We haven't let other people speak for themselves if we assume that we know what you're going through. Alone, we don't seem to ask these important questions like, how are you? And who are you? And what's your story? And what's up with that hat? And Tell me more. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about your experience. Tell me more about your perspective. Most of life is not obvious. But getting to the not so obvious is a trip that can only be taken together. Like we can't really get there alone. It's a trip that we take together with people who are both like us and not like us in all kinds of ways with people who are wise and foolish, people who get it and don't get it at all, people who are equally ignorant as us, and people who are equally loved by God and worthy of being known better. People who are equally loved by God and worthy of being known better than we assume. This is the depressingly good news of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Welcome to church, everybody. (laughs) Please join me in prayer. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would strengthen us as a community of people, tangled together in our differences and in our similarities. May your spirit guide us deeper. Amen.